Incoming transmission from the Babylon Project. Welcome to the Babylon Project, our last Best Hope for Trash. This is a rewatch podcast for Babylon 5, featuring three friends who are almost done with this show. My God. My name is Justin, and here to help me along are my co-host Jude and Anna. Jude, Anna, how you doing? On the penultimate episode of Babpod. Well, my brain is completely shot today, so this is going to be interesting. <laughs> a good episode to have your brain shot on. No thoughts, only vibes. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. I can't believe we recorded six. We're, we will have recorded 62 plus episodes of this dumb podcast because you tweeted a stupid podcast name at me. <laughs> I do have that effect on people. Yeah. I, apparently. I can't believe we're almost done with this. Like, I mean, you know, we, we have we have our next show, too. Jude has placed a question in the chat for us this week because we're going so we're going to break up four, I guess. Mm hmm. Uh, my question this week is, what song would you sing to block a telepath from reading your mind? Don't get me wrong. I love me some girl from Ipanema. But here's here's where I think you may have strayed in your choice there. We have been conditioned by elevators to ignore that song. I feel like Lita would blow through that song like like a hailstorm through a sheet of toilet paper. Yeah, like you, you like you think that like Gene Grayer, Emma Frost, or Lita are gonna be like, oh, you put some elevator music for me? Oh, I'll blow in this. Door off the hinges here. See, I would go with it because it's easy to loop. Oh, I, 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 this is why I have, okay. this is why I have my choice. I know a song that gets on everybody's nerves, everybody's nerves, everybody's nerves. Interesting choice. <laughs> just, just, just loop that. And, you know, if nothing else, I'll get murdered. <laughs> yeah, that's valid. <laughs> I have so many choices. I don't even know where to begin. I could pick, let's think there's the pooping song, which is the current number one hit. In, in my yeah, household. Yeah, as a parent, you automatically win this. It could be the theme song from any of the shows that my son watches on a regular basis. What about Baby Shark? Baby Shark would be a fucking slapping good one because Baby yeah. Shark can just loop and it's legitimately annoying. But like some of my son's shows have like really good music. By the way, any parents listening? Fucking Aquanauts. That, that show has some dope music. Creature Report, the little outro. Just saying. And there's a... Never mind. I'm just saying, watch watch Aquanauts. Anyway. Next season on our Aquanauts podcast. I would do a podcast about the Aquanauts. I have thoughts about the Aquanauts. Not as many <laughs> as I do about Daniel Tiger. Have we talked about Daniel Tiger? Have I given you I know that I know that Daniel Tiger is like the bane of existence for all parents. Daniel Tiger's a rough watch, but I have some very serious thoughts about the socioeconomic subliminal messaging in Daniel Tiger. I know there's some weird stuff that you like. I think Richard Kreutzlandry and yeah, he, he and I have talked about this. He and I have talked about this. I think it's on the show. I like. I do not remember, but I think it might be. It might be. Uh, I have some very strong feelings about this. <laughs> well, we'll save it for another episode. That or, that or it might be a Zathras outtake all timer. Yeah, uh, I know. I've gotten into it on Twitter. So if you follow me on Twitter, you probably have seen me ranting about uh, the fact that only humans are allowed to have two parents. Okay, yes, I have heard you make this thing before. Yeah. Like, I have not just read it. I have heard you say this before. Yeah. Um, let's do an episode. What do you think? Sound good? Uh, yeah, well, let's talk about this. Uh, we are covering the two of the last three episodes of season five. Episodes 20 and 21. Objects in motion and objects at rest. Uh, I've got the first one. Episode 20, Objects in Motion. Written by JMS. Story by JMS and Harlan Ellison. Directed by Jesus Trevino. Interesting note in the JMS Speaks. Somebody apparently was confused by the idea that someone could contribute to it, 
the idea behind a story, but not actually write it. Like, buddy. Have these people never brainstormed? He, he had to, like, explain how it worked that, like, multiple people could contribute to it. This was before writer's rooms, I guess? I don't know. Is very weird. That's bullshit. We knew how writer's rooms worked. Well, I guess this Dingleberry didn't because JMS felt the need to explain it to him. Random idiots on the internet have no idea how anything works. Word. I mean, us included, but... Yeah. <laughs> um, so... Don't add us. The episode begins in customs as the former number one, who now, who now has a name, Tessa Halloran, looking fucking fierce in black, as always apparently is now working for the Mars provisional government and is arguing with first security extra number one, then Zach about the fact that her Mars passport doesn't read as valid. Thanks to Earth's bureaucratic assholery. She's saved by the timely arrival of Franklin, who vouches for her. When Franklin asks why she's there, if not to fuck his brains out, though that's clearly on both their minds, she asks if Garibaldi is okay. Garibaldi, it transpires, is not okay, much to my amusement, but he is alive, so I guess she's arrived in time. He's yarfing all the alcohol out of his system with entirely too much good foley. Tessa and Franklin arrive mid-hork, and Tessa tells Garibaldi and Lise, who is tending this sickly man-child, that they are in danger. In the course of rooting out which corporations worked with Earth during the Mars Freedom Effort, they've discovered a hit has been put on their heads in order to keep them from exposing whatever dirty biological business their former her former husband got up to besides the telepath virus. Meanwhile, life remains as chaotic as ever for Jakar, who is followed everywhere he goes by a screaming mob of postulants and fans, including to visit Lita. He's there to make sure she's good with his offer. She's jaded and more than a little bitter, while he's excited and more than a little philosophical. She seems amused, if a little bemused, by his enthusiasm. She assumes he's doing it to keep an eye on his investment in her DNA. He doesn't outright tell her she's wrong, but it's clear he plans to disabuse her of that of the notion, as well as bang her. <laughs> In the president's office, Sheridan is delighted to be dealing with something that doesn't involve politics and instead involves schemes. He wants to stage a going-away party for Jakar and use Garibaldi's bait to draw out the assassin. He claims that this is Zach's idea, but like... I love it. It's Zach's idea. This is so stupid. It has to be somebody's. It has to... No, this is absolutely Sheridan's idea. He's like, yeah, Zach came up with it. <laughs> Garibaldi confirms to Sheridan that he's leaving and tells him that he and Lise are getting married. They both acknowledge that he won't be getting his job back. No shit. The assassin they are trying to protect Garibaldi and Lise from turns out to be a fairly innocuous looking white guy who hops into an elevator, as innocuous as any white man looks these days, and hop, who hops into an elevator with a security guard, and after his casual xenophobia doesn't elicit a reaction, he goes with a dick joke and then shanks the guy, taking his link and replacing it with a duplicate. When the body is found, Zack and Franklin speculate on motive, but they've no, nothing to go on. Einstein here killed the guy super efficiently and picked a guy too new to the station to have any local beef, which has Zack's suspicions up. In his quarters, Einstein is trying to hack the link to get into the security channels. Eventually, he gets it working. Back with Sheridan, he's talking with Halloran, and we discover that they're a couple of kindred spirits. She's feeling frustrated with the infighting on Mars and Earth's passive-aggressive war of bureaucracy, something Sheridan clearly empathizes with. He clearly admires her intelligence and spirit. He offers to set up Mars with an embassy of sorts on Minbar so they can get official papers through the ISA a huge win for them so they can sidestep Earth, and in return asks her to stick around a few days. He's got a notion. As the party preparations for Jakar's departure come together, one of Jakar's fan club corners him near the stage and confronts him about leaving. He has an obligation to the Narns, he says. This poor schmuck spent his life savings to sit at Jakar's feet. Jakar's having none of it. He says it's not his fault this guy's an idiot. And he has no responsibility to anyone or anything except to do what he feels is right. And possibly get a pedicure. Yeah, true. Very accurate. Maybe a nice baby foot. I don't know if that works on Narns, but, you know. The Narn is clearly betrayed and hurt, particularly when Jakar finds out that he's the one making the statues of him. And Jakar angrily snaps one in half in anger. We get a little bit of old Jakar growl in his face. Nice. Oh, 
Zach visits Franklin and MedLab to ask if there's any news, and in examining the dead security extra's belongings, notices that the link is sticking to the bottom of the box, which is hinky since they use some stupid space magic DNA bond bullshit, which makes no fucking sense at all, but sure, it's the end of the series and I'm down for a storyline about how none of this makes sense. Zach immediately adds one and one and figures out that this is a fake link, and the assassin will probably be using the real one to try and listen to their security chatter at the event. Sure enough, we see him placing in an earpiece and then cut to him adjusting it in the crowd as the Narns and one very sensible and likely sexually curious Minbari stand around the stage chanting for Jakar to come forth. Sheridan, Garibaldi, Lees, and Jakar arrive and as Sheridan speechifies, Zack takes the opportunity to play a screeching noise through the stolen link, causing the assassin to flinch. They grab him, but in the chaos, no one is there to stop the disgruntled Narn that Jakar offended from raising a weapon of his own. Zack dives into Jakar, a pairing I had never imagined and don't particularly want, and the other Narns wrestle the assailant down, but not before his shot goes wide and hits Lise. Garibaldi, in MedLab, talks to Jakar, who is apologetic, and Franklin, whose bedside manner leaves something to be desired, per usual. Garibaldi, though, is in no mood to be placated or to hear cautious optimism. He exits MedLab, and when he runs into Zack, he demands time with the assassin. I have some thoughts about this ce- this whole scene, but we're going to talk about it. Zack tries to demur, but Garibaldi tells him that he won't hurt him, but it's either play along or he'll need to shoot Garibaldi. This is not how police work works. Even by Garibaldi's standards, this is some horseshit. Uh, Zack, spineless as ever in the face of Garibaldi's nonsense, complies, resulting in Garibaldi dragging him to see Lita for one more thankless, unethical demand to be thrown at her feet before she leaves the station. Dope. Garibaldi leverages their agreement, and Lita assents, holding his end of their bargain over his head, and then scans the assassin. He tries to block with songs and math, but to no avail. She gets in and finds out that it was the entire board of their company, Edgar's Industries, who have sent him. She wipes the memory of the incident from his mind, and Garibaldi drags him away. As he packs up to leave, Jakar has a nice little scene with Sheridan about his leaving and how if Sheridan goes to where the station is quiet, which is where exactly? In this fucking, like, jam-packed sardine can station where there's people everywhere? It's neither here nor there. He'll hear the echo of all their conversations. This is a nice little scene. He also calls him John, which is weird and I'm not into. After Sheridan is gone, he records a mystery message. When Lise wakes up, Garibaldi asks her to marry him right there, which seems perfectly legit. And I'm sure that doped up as she is, she can consent to a marriage in this in that state. Garibaldi goes and gets a priest and they get hitched. I guess it's all off screen, but Garibaldi seems enthusiastic. Pretty sure that's not legally binding. Yeah. Uh, Jakar meets Lita in the docking bay where she is let in wearing handcuffs. She promptly telekinetically sheds them with the admission that she could have gotten out of them anytime she wanted to, but she kind of gotten to like them. Jakar's face at this admission is fucking priceless. And if you don't think that Jakar is mentally amending that he can, that he gets to bring out the bondage gear from underneath his bunk, you are fucking fools. Sad boy Zach comes out from around a corner as they walk down the gangplank and watches them go. Leading into next episode's incel plot. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Garibaldi calls the Ed- Edgar's board of directors, and since he's not part of the government anymore, not like he had any ethics to begin with, but he really doesn't have any anymore, so he's perfectly content using their resources to, I guess, bully these guys? I don't know. It's not clear. Garibaldi never had ethics, so why? what is he suggesting here? Anyway, he is using his replacement's information to blackmail the board of directors. His replacement is who, you ask? Number one, Tessa Halloran, which is fucking dope. And I love it. She is well-versed in their bullshit, having done deep research on them as a part of her uh, time in the Mars provisional government. And they are horrified at her elevation. Garibaldi also threatens them with assassins if anything happens to him or Lise, and then says they will resign the next day. After her dramatic call with Garibaldi, Tessa has dinner with Franklin, which turns into I-fucking Franklin, which turns into loudly demanding the check while Franklin runs ahead to turn down the lights and get the Baja Blast-flavored lube ready for Franklin. (laughs) In the the final scene, Sheridan meets Delenn, and I'm not joking, like I'm, I'm... I'm only being the least bit hyperbolic, like just a tiny bit. 
like ridiculously the last 10 minutes of this episode are ridiculously horny in all of babylon 5 that their interaction at that table is some of the horniest this show has ever been when jakar is not on screen <laughs> i hate that it's franklin but i love that it's number one so i'm gonna let it slide yeah, yeah. they're good pairing they're good pairing finish yeah. finish up finish i like up, that scene up. in the final scene sheridan meets the line in the docking bay in time to catch lease and garibaldi leaving they say their goodbyes, and Garibaldi gets an entirely unnecessarily and unearned sentimental goodbye, considering that Jakar and Lita, who are eminently superior characters, left without so much as a shed tear, and then Delenn and Sheridan decide to walk the whole five-mile length of the station. There you have it. That was only 1,300 words. I did good. That was succinct by any, by any metric that we, we measure this show by. <laughs> so... Where do we start with this episode? I Dude, mean, where do let's, you start? Let's, just get out of, let's, <laughs> let's start with the fact that, like, between Lita's, like, little, like, strappy cape thing. Okay, uh, so she, we're talking about how horny this episode is. Yeah, well, let's start there. Right? Okay, yeah. Jakar has chain mail, too. Oh, uh, listen, we have Olympic levels of horny in our bio. Uh, <laughs> we have to live up to that. Yeah, Jakar and Lita are, like, I don't even, like, they clearly have established chemistry before. Yes. And she's in kind of a weird spot right now, what with like her entire species wanting her to get the fuck out. So I get that she's not really in the in, a, in you know a sexy headspace, but how can you not? How how can you not be <laughs> around Jakar? And clearly this is what happens because she's flirting with him even while she's like contemplating these nihilistic things. Uh and then she's like joking about be, you know enjoying handcuffs and Jakar just eats it up. He's like just sitting there, he's just standing there with a spoon ready to to I feel like up. you could write a really great, like fluffy romance about this where like, you know, Jakar is like being gentle with her because like, uh -huh. you know, he, he doesn't want her to feel trapped and like and like she, you know, is like not sure that he's really into her and like I feel like you could you could have a novel oh, here. Listeners, <laughs> listeners, if you have good Jakar Lita fan fiction i demand it i am not asking for it i am saying that the, the the your dues as listeners to me as your as a producer of this content that you are consuming is that you send me this fan fiction <laughs> like what i was gonna say was that like see my brain went in an entirely different direction with this with jakar wanting to be like the oh don't like you know taking it easy and to be like come on you pussy <laughs> oh, no, I'm a hundred percent sure that yeah that Lita's the top in that relationship. Uh, no question. Yeah. So so here's my theory on why this why why this works and why she's jumping in because she has just gotten out of a relationship with another like charismatic figurehead. Mm -hmm. But instead of having like real huge sad boy pathetic energy like Byron. <laughs> Jakar has like all of his shit put together. He he's like he's had problems with like what is this new part of my life, but he is a well-formed like put together human being <laughs> who isn't like wallowing ever. He's just like I know what I've got to do. I've just got some ethical dilemmas here. Yeah. And Jakar has never even uttered the word willow. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and it's like in Jakar's like like sexy like these are like sexy ethical bubbles like oh no i'm a figurehead for my entire entire people yeah yeah, yeah. i'm yeah, too cool i have to leave i'm too yeah, cool I'm, I'm too cool that i have to self-exile that is like that's a that's a sexy goddamn problem yeah this is uh, we're calling this episode the sexiest ethical dilemma do it zathras you coward yeah no absolutely 100 <laughs> percent Meanwhile, we've got uh, Franklin and Tessa, I guess. She'll always be number one in my head. Number one in my heart. Oh. Dang. <laughs> I'm sorry. I She is such a good character. And we'll talk yeah. about this in the next episode. I love her elevation to Garibaldi's position so much. It makes me so angry that we're getting that that she shows up until the second to last episode yeah, third to I know. last episode my, my first thought was we couldn't have had this mars plot 10 episodes ago the fuck yeah you oh my oh man i i'm so bad i want like this. like we couldn't have had like oh man we could have had like bester show up and instead of garibaldi 
relapsing. We could have him like being, I'm clearly not okay. I'm going to resign and I'm going to go retire to Mars, go retire to Mars. And then we could have number one step in right then. And that would be great. And that would be a nicer send off for Garibaldi too. And we could have gotten, listen, like we don't know. We don't know what, like what form of like, like how number one runs her operations. We could have been getting like a whole season of girl boss war crimes. (laughs) Dude, she ran an underground resistance to Mars gov. You don't, you don't run something like that without a little war crimes. I, I just, we, 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 we missed so much with this. We could have gotten like a season of a competent, like intelligence chief. Oh, I know it hurts. It hurts. And she's such a good pairing for Franklin oh, yeah, because because she's a girl boss, right? Yeah, I, I think it's I think it's like Franklin needs like a little bit of like a step on me figure. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. He needs to get stepped on a little bit. Like, like I think they're like like so like they are equals in that relationship, and it is nice. And they're like sort of both in position like they're both like oh hey we're staff and like it's like the one like oh hey we work in different departments like we well, like you know we happen to run our own shit it's it's like an ethical version of the co-workers dating thing this is great i love it it, it is like yeah, yeah. i could have had a season of this and i would have loved it yeah and they yeah. have legitimate bananas chemistry because the two of them sitting at that table there is like there, the two of them sitting at that table. There is so I, I I used the phrase "I fucking" in my summary, and not for shocks, not for <laughs> not for chuckles, because that's literally what they're doing. They are, yeah, they're like talking to each other and like justifying, like, no, I, I, it's not right. You know, it's not the right time for me to have a relationship right now. No, it's not the right time for me either. You want to go fuck? Yeah, <laughs> I've got yeah. an hour and ten minutes. It's so good. God, I love that. <laughs> like, like specifically, it's like I got about an hour, more than an hour, less than an hour. <laughs> yeah, I. <laughs> Which is like, I'm like, that's the moment. Was like, oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, it's so good. It's, it, this is like, yeah. Uh, I I love it. I I I missed the light of my life. Number one. <laughs> uh, she's I, so good. I love her. Yeah, she's great. Like. It's one of those things of like maybe if she'd been a regular, like she would have like the the shine would have worn off. But that's a that's an alternate universe. I'm willing to take the plunge on. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we'll talk about her at the end of this episode. She's in. Uh, I I talk about her in the uh, I know that face a little bit. Uh, so we'll talk about her a little bit more at the very, at the end here. Lita's fucking on fire in this episode too. Oh, she's great. She's mm-hmm. great. She's got she's got some real good like me bitch Jean Grey vibes, which I vibe with. Yeah. Do you like, oh, you forgot to carry the seven. <laughs> no, that's better. Oh, so <laughs> yeah. I like that she's also like clearly messing with him. Like she could probably like flay his brain open without any effort. She's just toying with him. Yeah. Like she doesn't want to dissect his brain like a bug. So she's going gently. She's not going in hard yeah no it's very good and she's just like oh you're resisting that's cute yeah uh she also has like her wardrobe continues to be like low-key like what i would describe as uh closet cosplay space bondage (laughs) the the like low the loose low ponytail also really really works on her Mm -hmm. it's just good it's just good. Space bondage meets pajamas in like. Yeah, in a good way. Yeah, yeah. In a way that totally works. It's like both sexy and comfortable. Yeah. The best of all worlds. In things that uh, arouse me in an entirely different way, uh, <laughs> watching Garibaldi suffer uh, oh, was yeah, fantastic. Love, this episode was full of Garibaldi getting uh, tortured. Yeah, um, to all to all the, to all of our haters who like like oh you, no we love watching Garibaldi suffer. <laughs> yeah, I could have done with less vomiting foley. Though. I was gonna say the foley in that first scene with him was spot on. Well, again, uh, the foley crew on Babylon Five on their game a little it's, too much, a little too a little much. Too, it was a as, little someone, too real. as someone as <laughs> someone yeah. recently, relatively recently recovered from food poisoning. 
It could come back like 10%. Could come back like 10%. But yeah, because it's, it's not just the, the actual like vomit noise. It's the like throat clearing noise and the coughing noise. Yes. Yeah. And then he comes out all sweaty too, which is a nice touch. It's the thing that a lot of shows don't remember is the fact that when you're especially like a like that kind of yarfing, it's always like preceded by like a flop sweat. So you you look like you've just like hopped out of the shower fully clothed immediately after you do something like that. Ugh. Uh, that said, I do appreciate that we got to see Garibaldi get put through the emotional ringer. Comma. That marriage is definitely not legally valid, though. No. Um, I don't know. Uh, at the same time, I don't believe that church is real. So uh, I feel like that whole marriage is a sham. But so is their relationship. I mean, I it, like. might, it might be something where they're like, let's get married. And then we'll, they'll actually take care of the paperwork later. Because, yeah, yeah. That, that scans. I think my 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 single biggest complaint with this episode is that I don't I hate that Garibaldi got the big emotional send off. Yeah, he's one. Of, he's one of like three people who's on the show for all five seasons. Yes, so I guess gets that. Which, it, but fine, like, whatever. Yeah, but I hate him. Yeah, right. I mean, it, it's it's the thing of just like no, but I hate him. Right, I understand. But I hate it. It's like and it's like fuck you episode for making me like care about this yeah i don't i want the found family vibes i just don't want them with garibaldi yeah so i i resented that uh i also thought it was remarkable that like this is a reflection thing i just can't give a fuck about zach after five seasons i know like like i thought it i thought somewhere along the line i would finally like come to like some kind of an opinion about zach but, like, they can't nail a characterization with him. Remember when y'all tried to sell me on him as a himbo in he's season just, two? I'm he sorry. He is in season two, but he it just doesn't stick. They can't. His characterization, like, swings between competent, spineless, and doofus. And, they, like, yeah. He, and they just can't stick to one. And I just don't like him. Maybe he's just all three. He's just, like, a dumb shit weasel. Yeah. He is the person who I would like say, like, I interact with you like every like at least every other day at work. But I could not tell you a thing about them after like four years of working together. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I would not want to. And this is even a job where he's like vaguely competent. Like there's this stupid Garibaldi as bait plan, which like does involve Garibaldi being bait, so I kind of enjoy that. But like He's actually kind of competent and I just can't, I can't bring myself to care. I have something that I wanted to kind of like put a pin in for this. So remember back in the season four finale, we talked about how like the the various species ascending or not ascending, right? And you were like, any species with Jakar in it, like has got to be able to ascend, Right. See, with actually watching through season five, I'm not on board with like I don't no, I yeah, don't it, feel it. It yeah. makes a compelling case that Jakar is an outlier in his species. Yeah, like mm-hmm. that we have Talon, you know, as a potential like person following in his footsteps, but like everybody else, like the Narns as a race are not there. Where, yeah, where everybody else is just like, oh, cool, let's make a cult. Would you like yeah. to be our cult leader? Yeah. It, yeah. it is. It is. We have decided to reject your idea of special, spiritual reformation and instead have decided to, to form a parasocial relationship. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Which, to be fair, this is how it should. This is how it would go. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm not sure I buy that. If the Narns don't get there, the humans don't get there. The oh, humans, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I don't buy that humans get there, but, you know. Yeah, but, you know, I I, I think this makes the case I see pretty, what you're saying, though. Yeah. Yeah, pretty solidly that, like, Jakar could very well be an outlier. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, it's, un- it's unfortunate. Yep. Uh, I think it's funny that we got, in five seasons, we got exactly two episodes uh, critically examining the 
ubiqu- ubiquitous and yet completely fucking shenanigans links. <laughs> we got one episode where Sheridan sits on his link because he's got it Velcroed up on his ass. And we get this one. Uh, and I feel like we maybe should have gotten at least one more examining how dumb these fucking things are. Oh, I mean, this one, or as I'm writing notes on this episode, I'm like, why did he steal the link? He's genetically bonded. Okay, he's going to do some hacking bullshit. Hacking, a thing we have not seen done in like four seasons of Babylon 5. Yeah, I... It's it's funny, yeah. it's just like... The links like, are just dumb. The plot is so it's contrived. Silly. It's silly and I love it. Yeah. I do yeah. love that it's like, that, that, they're, that they're like, think that they're like, Oh, somebody stole it. Okay, we can we can isolate that link and, and like freaking like play like a loud ass noise to to isolate it and like oh hey look it's that dude. Yeah, I don't have a problem with any of that. I just think that's, that that's great. I love that. It's like it points out how stupid that are. It like it it it, it recognizes how stupid it is. Yeah, because it's the whole idea of like it only sticks to someone based on their DNA. Is so astoundingly dumb. You could, I mean, it'd be even better to go with like, I mean, you could go with like body chemistry and it would make more sense. Or just have a cell phone. Just don't glue your fucking phone to the back of your hand. I mean, where, yeah, any yuckle, where any yuckle can hear it. Like the dude had in this episode. Yeah. Like, like, a, like you had a little yeah. earpiece. Um, and I mean, listen, listen, Star Trek did it 25 years before this. They had a flip phone. <laughs> yeah. And then they re- and then they replaced it with the badges, which were a running joke in Star Trek. How frequently the fact that their badges were like fucking out there on their chest became a problem. They were constantly getting yanked off and hacked and all manner yeah. of shenanigans. The badges as communication devices is the dumbest thing Star Trek has ever done. And like <laughs> B5, these shows, which are more interested in the, the stories about the future than they are about actually like, yeah. Old Trek. I'm not talking about New Trek. New Trek is very much up its own ass about technology and like the 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 sci-fi part of science fiction. My my only point was just that when these shows like B5 and like like the first like the first Star Trek you know, TOS and TNG, they were more interested in the stories that you tell in these worlds than they were in like the tech. Yeah. And that's how and you end works. up with shit like the badges and the links and fucking unlabeled lumps of quartz that apparently have data on them which are just these like these ideas for technology that are so fucking stupid that you you have to suspend disbelief it's the only way they can fly i i try so hard to let it happen and i just can't sometimes i just can't even even though we we kind of like so i think this is where star trek versus babylon 5 it hits like it bothers me a lot more in babylon 5 than it does in trek and I think the reason for it is that Babylon 5 is trying to be lower tech. And it's up its own ass about it. Right, right. Yes, like that, yeah. that it's like, it's got, you know, they try to go into an explanation of how Link works rather than just being like, it's the talky thing that's on your chest. Yeah, it's <laughs> it sticks there because it's Velcro. Like it's got Velcro on the back. It has magic Velcro. You're good. Like we reverse the polarity. It's fine. Gotcha. It doesn't it doesn't take the sci-fi mumbo jumbo far enough is what you're saying. I mean, like Trek has its own vocabulary of techno babble, which is fine because because it like it keeps it internally cons- it Yeah, it's it internally somewhat- consistent. Yeah, it's like you don't know what any of these words mean, but they generally all like you can suss what they mean generally. Yeah, you just reverse polarity on the dilithium crystals and you get out of the quantum singularity it's fine (laughs) but but like we we have i hope we have one star trek fan that is really offended by this this depiction of star trek technology i mean i am a rabid star trek fan yeah but you're you're a reasonable i hope we have one unreasonable star trek fan that's offended right now and comes at justin's at justin in the ads Babylon 5 tries to explain things too much in ter- in terms that like we in modern times or in 1995 understand. Gotcha. Yeah, I see what yeah. And that's where it fails. JMS, JMS just needs a little person on his shoulder saying, don't worry about it. Don't yeah. worry about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I get you. Yeah, it works better when it's just like science magic. 
Yeah. It's cool. All right. Uh, are we good to move on to objects at rest? My, my last thing is that the, the fact that the entire Edgar's Industries board is pasty, middle-aged white guys. There's one lady. Yeah. There is? There is one lady. One lady. lady. Okay. She, yeah. does not, she's just not going to call out in Garibaldi's laundry list of black Okay, girls. okay. But that's, that's certainly something. I mean, it's, it's like... <laughs> Consistent with corporate America. I, Babylon 5 is just an extrapolation of 1990s America. Yep. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, I, I would like to, to take a moment before this summary to thank Anna for falling on the sword on this one. Uh, I was supposed to write Objects at Rest, and I could not do it. I could not <laughs> write the summary for this godforsaken episode. Uh, so I swapped. I, I had to. I have to uh, maintain the bit of falling on the sword of doing all of the incel linear plot, um, which is just the worst plot. I got to torture so a friend of the show, Dragon Cobalt, last night with the knowledge that I saw that movie had asked for this plot. I saw mm-hmm. that. And, and I was surprised that he didn't know. Yeah, he was like, I hate this. This makes so much sense, but I hate this. And I'm like, yeah, thank you. It made me happy that you horrified him. Uh, I'm, I'm so happy that I, I'm so happy when I get to like, it's like, you are one of the unlucky 10,000 today, bitch. Yep. <laughs> I mean, Dragon, I mean, bitch, very, uh, very appreciatively. Yeah. All right. Take us away, Anna. All right, so this is Objects at Rest, written by JMS and directed by John Copeland. Um, So broadly, we're continuing and concluding the thread of people leaving the station and passing on their roles to the next generation, uh, as it were. Sheridan meets with Lockley and CNC and says that he and I it's that it was on the it was on the it was on the IMDb page. That's what it said. the, The captain's name was. Got it. Okay. Anyway, Sheridan meets with Lockley in CNC and says that he and Delenn want to leave the station quietly. No ceremonies, no speeches. Lockley's like, mm, not sure that's going to work, but okay, I'll try. Sheridan also thanks her for taking the job as station commander and says that he knows the station is in good hands. At which point I go, mm, okay. Yeah, right. Veer, meanwhile runs into Talon, who is back in the station and ringing Jakar's doorbell repeatedly. Uh, Veer explains that Jakar is gone from the station permanently. Knowing this, Talon enters Jakar's quarters and finds a message for him. Jakar has chosen him to be the next Narn ambassador to the station. Jakar tells him to serve our people reasonably, fairly, and with honor. The rest will attend to itself and has a, a very nice message for Talon. Franklin, meanwhile, is having lunch with Dr. Hobbs and announces that he's chosen her to replace him as medical chief of staff. Everybody cheer, please. Yay! All of our favorite girls are getting their are, are getting their flowers. I am I am yeah. like emotional for this of like <laughs> it's so good. competent people in this universe are finally getting their due. I know, right? I'm, I'm like I'm, I like I got emotional. Like that like Dr. Hobbs and, and number one getting like and Talon. And Talon. All of our favorites are just like, I'm just and like, we made this. We manifested this into existence. I have some real thoughts about this we'll talk about at the end. Yeah, I have yeah. some very... But so, so he's chosen her to replace him as the chief, chief of staff. Uh, she's less specialized than the other doctors who would be potential candidates, but that's a benefit rather than a drawback since she's able to see the big picture and will be able to manage all of MedLab, not just like the alien trauma zone. Franklin says goodbye to both Hobbs and Sheridan and leaves headed to his new job on Earth. Sheridan sits down to one last briefing with the station staff. Number one demonstrates that uh, she has her new job well in hand and says that things have been fairly quiet lately. After she leaves, Lockley asks Sheridan why Tessa isn't joining him on Minbar. Uh, She's going to be remaining on B5 since it's a trade and information hub. On Mars, Garibaldi is busy with his new role handling the operations of Edgar's Industries. Now that the old board is gone, he's identified new candidates. All of the squeaky wheels from across the company. He gives them all a raise. Only a 100% raise, which seems like odd for putting people in the board of directors, but okay. 
um, and says that part of their job is to tell him when he's wrong and stand their ground. He implements a performance-based bonus system. Yeah. Basically, they work on commission for calling him on bullshit, which yeah. seems like a bad way to run a company. This seems, but this seems very faulty. Yeah, yeah I, this is not going to go well. I mean, it's it's like it, it it's it seems like the thing that like a tech bro would do is like a social experiment. Yeah, like the idea of promoting like the the squeaky wheels isn't entirely bad because it's people who like know the ins and outs of the company and you know. But financially motivating them to disagree with you to the point of disorder feels yeah. like a bad call, especially when you're planning on building an army on the down low with company money. Yeah, because you could just be like, you know, hey, I'm going to give you all a massive raise. And like part of your job is to make sure that I know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Uh, anyway, we should probably continue with like the actual summary here. Lanier arrives in Delenn's quarters as she's finishing packing uh, to her delight. He has a break in his training and decided to use it to help Delenn move back to Minbar. Um, Delenn checks her quarters for any forgotten items, and Lanier and Sheridan have a extremely awkward conversation in her absence. And then they're all off to the White Star. Unfortunately, word has gotten out about their departure, and a crowd has gathered to see them off. Sheridan defers to Delenn, who gives a brief speech about how in the Minbari language, no word for goodbye is final. They all imply the possibility of meeting again. And thus, she will not say goodbye since part of her soul is still on the station and they will be they will be back someday. It's very touching. As they leave on the White Star, they take one last look at the station and through the CNC windows, we see that the new station staff and ambassadors have gathered to see them off. Once they're underway, Sheridan is restless and goes for a walk that ends with him discovering a collapsed ranger who identified a leak in the weapons coolant system. He tries to rescue the ranger and they both end up trapped. Lanier arrives at the scene, uh, but does not press the door button to allow Sheridan and the ranger to escape, uh, instead running away and leaving them to be poisoned and die. He dithers and dithers some more and then continues to dither and ultimately returns to presumably, probably, maybe do the right thing. Uh, but finds that Sheridan has already rescued himself and the ranger by sm smashing the last door with the ranger's fighting pike, and that plenty of other people have arrived on the scene to help. Lanier flees in a fighter ship and refuses to answer Delenn's hails. Later, Delenn and Sheridan try to make some sense of Lanier's actions. A search of his rooms apparently unearthed a diary in which he goes full incel, denouncing her relationship with Sheridan as a mistake. Delenn tries to defend him, sort of by saying that everyone has moments when they're not themselves and give in to dark impulses, and that they spend the rest of their lives looking back on those moments in shame. Sheridan is skeptical, since um, he's not really sure whether Lanier was returning to save him or just make sure he was dead, uh, but agrees to keep Lanier's actions quiet. In her quarters, Delenn finally receives a transmission from Lanier. He is sorry for his actions and will not be returning until he can find a way to redeem himself. He says he wants her to be happy and then cuts the transmission. Once they arrive on Minbar, they're surprised by a familiar face. Londo is there to greet them. They share dinner and Londo brushes off Delenn's concerns about his abrupt shifts in mood. Londo is upset that there is no alcohol to toast with. Call back to uh, War Without End here. Yep. And for a moment, Delenn almost perceives the keeper on Londo's shoulder. Londo has brought a gift, an urn that would traditionally be a coming-of-age gift to the heir of the Centauri Emperor, and theoretically contains water from the river in front of the first imperial palace. Since Londo has no heirs, he insists that Sheridan and Delenn take it and give it to their child. As Londo leaves, he says that he wants Delenn and Sheridan to know and remember that they are his friends and always will be no matter what happens. Back aboard the ship, the Drak say that he has done well, and they will now wait the passage of years. And we glimpse that within the urn, there's another keeper. Lovely. Londo's coming-of-age gift for their child reminds Sheridan of Lorian's estimate of how much life he has remaining. At this point, less than 20 years, so he won't see their child's 21st birthday. He decides to record a message as a 21st birthday gift containing all the wisdom he can offer. The last piece of advice is from his own father, and Delenn arrives to finish the quote, Never start a fight, but always finish it. 
the two embrace and go back to bed. And that's the episode. And that's basically the series. Yeah. The final episode, which uh, we will talk about later uh, in the ne- our next podcast episode, is uh, set 20 years in the future. Interesting. Yep. Do we want to talk about the, uh, the incel in the room? No. Yeah. No. God. Uh, here's my beef with this episode, besides incel linear. We could have had a series about Talon, Tessa, Veer, Corwin. I can't remember the captain's name. It's not important. We could have had this second generation getting up to adventures. Would you maybe call it the the next generation? The next generation of Babylon 5. <laughs> Instead, what did we get? We got crusade of all godforsaken things. And what was that show? I don't I don't recall that there's a show by that name. Precisely. Just as the camera pans over this this cast of characters. It's such a good cast. It's such a good cast. Oh, I hate how much I, I love, love characters. all I love these all characters. It. It's, it's infuriating. Hobbs and Tessa and Talon and Veer are all such good characters. We, we might get more Corwin. I love all those characters. And imagine if we hadn't had... Lanier turn into a goddamn fucking incel, he could have been there too as the next Mimbari ambassador. He could just be the villain for season six. That also works. <laughs> um, like, I mean, oh, gosh. yeah. I mean, we could have had a whole season of like Tessa yeah. and Franklin being long, di- long distance horny. God, I, it, it <laughs> I'm so bad it, at this. It pains me that we spent. Now at the end of season five, it pains me that we spent half, half the season on Byron and his horse manure, and we got a cumulative seven minutes of Tessa or whatever it is. And we got Talon for like, what, 40 seconds or something like that? Yeah. I, uh, uh. I want... And Talon is so good and the the like He really is. Every time. And and that actor like really brings it every time. And he has a lot of the same like ener the quiet like the quiet contemplative energy of Jakar too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love the part where he says where Jakar says, We have had a an ambassador that is more more priest than warrior. Maybe it's time we have one that's more warrior than priest and you'll uh, find your that. way. Jakar's yeah. whole speech to Talon is so good. Everything Jakar says in these last two episodes, even when he's being horny to Lita, is so well written. I can't believe JMS wrote it. I mean, when he when when JMS is on his game, he is really good. Yeah. See, the the thing for me is it feels like the these last three episodes, because Ring of Fire was also pretty good. Mm-hmm. Or Wheel of Fire, whatever the hell it was. Yeah. Um, Wheel of Fire. These last three episodes, if we set aside the actual last episode, which is special, yeah, they feel like the stuff that was already planned, right? Yeah. They feel like it's the stuff that was already essentially written for the end of season five, the, the send off for everybody. And, you know... Nothing happens plot wise, but also that's okay. Like, yeah, it has the feeling of like a regular series finale. Yeah, yeah, and and having having everybody go their separate ways, and like it gives good emotional closure for all of these characters. And um, I really like these episodes. Um, yeah. But but it it feels I I think that it's like we've already we've wrapped all of the new plot, right? Mm -hmm. All the stuff that JMS came up with for season five, like the telepath Mm -hmm. colony thing and the, you know, Drak Centauri Raiders and all of that. Like that's all wrapped. That's done. And now we're now we're to the stuff that he's good at. Yeah. And that was already planned. And it these episodes are good. And I've actually been really happy with them that, that they've left the, the show on like a good note for me emotionally. Mm-hmm. 
after we've slogged and bitched throughout the entire rest of the season. Yeah. Yeah. It's, we got here, there was a good emotional closure. It's like, wow, I wish, I wish, I wish the rest of the season had worked to give us this catharsis. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the, the rest of it was all like pantsing. Uh, uh, oh, well. Uh, what else do I want to talk about for this episode? Um, we can talk about the incel. Oh, 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 I like how like Talon's method of, of, of like breaking into a door is just sticking a knife in it. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. just like, it's either, it's either you can just jam a knife in any door on B5 and it'll open. Or alternatively, Talon has the cool data, like the cool data hacking knife from Titanfall 2, where you just stab <laughs> computers with it and it hacks things. See, I choose to believe that that door wasn't locked to begin with. Okay, that, that's, that's, that's possible as well. Um, God. And that if, he, if he had just like poked it with his hand, it would have opened. I love that it's Veer that tells him that Jakar is gone. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There's a nice little bit of symmetry there. I want them to be buds so bad. I want Veer and Talon to be bros. Because they could be they could be Londo and Jakar, but like better, right? I mean, no, nobody's going to be better than Jakar. Yeah, without genocide between them. You know, they, they could they could have the they could like bring that kind of type of relationship to the next level. Yeah. Uh, all right. Let's talk about uh, one more thing before we move on to that. Um, the Eggers industry logo that's like on all the paperwork <laughs> looks like it yeah. was made in 20 minutes in MS publisher. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's like two different like boutique, like two different like stock fonts that you could only find through like scrolling through every font in word. And it's two different fonts put together. <sighs> yeah. Okay. Um, meanwhile, um, Bacon! Lanier is refusing to help Sheridan. He's leaving to die in the cold, cold room. What a despicable, cowardly move. A villain. A villain! Uh, it was, I hate this so much. As you should. God damn it, Lanier. As you should. I, Fuck you, Lanier. It's awful. It's so bad. Uh, I just think I, that it's like it's entirely unnecessary. That's that's my main thing with it is that like it be, it is entirely unnecessary as part of like the wrap up and closing and emotional catharsis of the show. Yeah, because like everybody gets their nice emotional catharsis arc, and then Lanier like does a like incidental maybe attempt to murder and then like runs away. Yeah. yeah. He's like, he doesn't even try to murder him. He's just like, oh, I'm, I mean, it's like, no, and I'm going to leave him to die. And honestly, that's, I swear to God, that's Lanier's long game, right? That he knows that Sheridan is going to, is going to kick it. And he knows that Mimbari live a lot longer. He's just going to be like, I'm just going to wait this out. And, you know, 20 years, 80 years, yeah. whatever it takes. I hate yeah. it. And like, if he'd if he had just been like slightly more patient, you know that that might have worked. Maybe, I mean, no, but yeah, but I mean, better odds. But better odds than like if he tr- if he like sort of tries to murder Sheridan. Yeah, I feel like pretty good odds. He never gets into Delenn's pants after this. He he got rid of any shot at that by you know trying to murder Sheridan, sort of. Uh, and it's just, it just, it just sucks because Lanier is so good up until this season. Yeah. One of the many things I hate about this season. And I don't even necessarily hate the thing where he's in love with Delenn. They could have done way better things with the character, but like having him, having him be like, Hey, you know, I have a, like, I have emotions to work out. I'm going to be somewhere that's not here because being here is not emotionally healthy for me right now. I'm going to go deal with my shit. Like, yeah. see ya. Like that, that would have been way better than like, so I'm going to, I'm going to go and claim that I'm dealing with my shit, but actually I'm going to stew Yeah, festival. and like develop my inf- incel manifesto. Ugh. No uh, character, no character who's worth their shit has a diary in fiction. 
<laughs> sorry, sorry. Uh, yeah, and I'm calling out Doogie Hauser too. <laughs> uh, um, I have a couple of I know that faces for this these two episodes. All right, Neil Bradley, who plays the Narn that shoots Lee's in Objects in Motion, uh, has played all manner of aliens on the show, including Purple Drowsy. <laughs> He's in. He's been in like twenty episodes of the show, or something like that. All under prosthetics. Love that. Person. And Marjorie Monahan, who plays number one, aka Tessa Holleran, was real busy in the nineties. Uh, she played JoJo, not Siwa, in the nineteen ninety three sci fi show Space Rangers, which I can't find anywhere except on YouTube. She did a few episodes. She also did a. Few episodes of Quantum Leap, uh, Voyager, as well as the underappreciated Andromeda in two thousand and four. Are we going to which... really call uh, Andromeda underappreciated? Yes, I think it is appropriately appreciated. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that was her last acting gig, though. After that, she just kind of vanishes off the public map. But <laughs> I, I'm going to track down Space Rangers. I'm going to do it. I'm very curious. It's also got what's his name. Um, it, Space Rangers has a bananas cast. It's got Kerry Hiro, uh, Hiroyuki Takagawa, the guy that's done, he was in, what's it called? Uh, Mortal Kombat, I think, and a bunch of stuff in the 90s. Um, you'd recognize him if you saw him. Linda Hunt, a, another guy that you, another actress you would recognize as soon as you saw her. She's the one that's very, very small. She was on NCIS LA and she's like super, super tiny. Oh, You've okay, lost okay, us. Okay, okay yeah. Uh, it's just got a like bizarrely like deep cast for like an eight episode sci-fi show from 1993. So I'm very curious to watch this. <laughs> I have a couple, I have a couple of like final content things that I wanted to talk about. Go for it. Um, but I, I swear to God, I'll be quick as a like little costuming note. So I think that probably we're all on the same page of feeling like these last three episodes, Sheridan has been, has felt like actual Sheridan. Yeah. yeah I noticed that. Five Sheridan. Yeah. His hair has been relaxed all three episodes. Like that, yeah, it's it's little, it's, a, it's a little that, more casual. That it's you know, uh, instead of being slicked back entirely, like it's been allowed to like fall to the side and stuff like that, which mm-hmm. kind of goes along with that. And then the, the final thing that I kind of wanted to talk about is that our first our first episode with Sheridan was him, you know, giving slash recording that speech on CNC and the you know, recording the message for the kid kind of felt like a nice way to close yeah. that circle. Yeah. That's a, that's a, a nice little continuity loop there. I like that. Yeah. It, it really felt like very natural for the character and it felt like we were kind of going back to his roots, which is, which is nice. I really like that. Yeah. Agreed. Like it's, it's cheesy, but I like it. No, no, I'm, I, I get you. I'm with you on that one. It's very in keeping with his fucking dad mode energy. Yeah, yeah. That's kind of the end of Babylon 5. We've got one more episode that is very much uh, an unusual bird that we'll talk about in a little while. Yeah, Um, for a little bit of stuff about what we're going to do with the finale, we are not going to probably do a summary for the finale. We're just going to do vibes, analysis, and uh, and we're going to be answering a lot of your questions. Uh, we're not going to ask you for them because guess what? It's two months ago. Ha <laughs> Yeah. Some of you garbage <laughs> monsters already responded to a call to questions. Gave us what? It's, we're up to like three or four pages of questions. Yeah. All of them from Scott and Richard. <laughs> All of them cursed. There are some legit. There's like three there's kinds of questions, questions on in there. There are some great questions. There are some incredibly great questions cursed questions and then there's just some garbage cursed questions <laughs> i'm i'm looking forward to that yeah and right. and you all should be too listeners yeah yes you should so tune in one last time for sleeping in light until next time be seeing ya the babylon project is an independent production all views expressed on the show are our own. Clips from the original show remain property of the original owner. Music information can be found in the show notes. The rest of the show is licensed under a Creative Commons 4.0 share alike no derivatives license.
Love Recording.